Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Medical and health research, this is an extremely important part of advancing the treatments in medicine, and yet, all too often, people may not know how to access clinical trials or maybe their particular condition. They don't know if it's being researched in the first place, or there isn't enough funding to allow everyone who wants to participate in research to be able to do so. So today we're having a little bit of a call to get some action to have people understand a little bit more about how we are such a unique research population here in the islands and how we need to make sure that we support our university research and also the research going on at the Cancer Center and ways in which we can do so. Now, today I'm joined by Research America President and CEO, Mary Woolley, and she is here in the islands just for a few days. You were at a conference in Kauai that was incorporating all of the medical schools and microbiology departments? That's right. That's right. And they were talking about research? They were talking about science, and they were talking about challenges to research, whether they come from inadequate funding to accomplish the goals of finding the answers and ultimately the cures and preventions for a whole range of disease and disabilities that ail us from A to Z, from autism and Alzheimer's, uh, through cancer and diabetes and heart disease, kidney disease, HIV AIDS, all the way to Zika. And for all of that right now in this country, our tax dollars um, are funding about $100 worth of medical and health research for each of us every year. That's all. For every disease, that's it. For every disease and disability you can name, uh, all through the alphabet, as I was saying. Uh, That's what NIH, the National Institutes of Health, has to spend, and that's all it has to spend. Um, We know that uh, doubling that, adding to it significantly, would assure that more, especially more young scientists with great ideas to change the dynamics of the the relentless progress of disease and disability that claims too many lives, uh, would have a chance to do their research instead of having odds of maybe one in 10, um, sometimes a little better, sometimes a little less. Those are stiff odds to to make make you feel like you're going to have a chance in the highly competitive world of research funding. The University of Hawaii Medical School and the Cancer Center actually does quite well in that competition, uh, given the uh, limited amount of funds there are available. There's um, $55 million or so dollars from the National Institutes of Health that come every year, last year, say, to uh, Hawaii, and most of that does come to the medical school at the University of Hawaii and the Cancer Center, with uh, uh, some funds also to other institutions. But they could do even more great work. And the key with doing great work is that we're not just talking about disease research, but we're also talking about health research. And there's a little bit of a distinction. You know, a lot of times we think about researching a particular disease that affects very few people and yet has devastating effects for those folks. And then we don't necessarily look at some of the efforts in prevention of disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of emphasis these days, as there ought to be, that rather than waiting until you get 
diabetes, for example, or high blood pressure or high mm-hmm. cholesterol, what are some of the ways that we can prevent it? So the Diabetes Prevention Program has come out and various ways that people can kind of take control themselves and try and work on their own health. But how do we know what works? How do we know what sort of programs are going to be the most effective? This is where research comes in. Right. So true. And, you know, right now, uh, people may have heard of precision medicine. It's the future for health, not only for treatment, but for health, as you rightly describe, Kathy. Uh, That's the goal we're trying to get to. And precision medicine is more of a one-size-fits-one rather than one-size-fits-all, which, of course, has never been true. We are not never fit anybody correctly. Exactly. That's right. right. That's exactly right. So, when precision medicine is fully realized, it'll be one size fits me. And that's what we're after. The NIH has a new national program uh, just getting started up called All of Us. And people can look that up on the NIH website, allofus.nih uh, at nih.gov. And there's opportunities to get involved in that, whether you're currently struggling with a condition or a disease, um, or if you actually are 100% healthy or close to it. The NIH wants to have the engagement of volunteers to start getting to the um, N of one, if you will. It's about me, uh, state of our ability to diagnose early, prevent early, and cure as quickly as possible. I, I really believe we will get there. The state of the research is ready. The state of our ability to collect and analyze big data sets is ready. People want to be involved. Uh, there's been concerns sometimes that uh, privacy will be violated, and let's be honest, it has been in the past in isolated con- uh, situations. But overwhelmingly, according to surveys we've commissioned and that of other uh, organizations, we know that 75% or more of the American population is eager to learn more about getting involved in research in a way that they can contribute to the answers. Well, and I think we have to remember, we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. Indeed. And with that, knowing how to do certain new techniques in surgery or learning which medications are going to be helpful for which conditions, all of these different elements that I take for granted now Mm -hmm. all came about through research that occurred prior to my life in medicine. So it's our turn to make a contribution. And if you want to help the next generation to succeed in their goals and hopefully be healthy while they do it, then we need to start setting the groundwork so that we can help support some of those initiatives now. So we talk about having the N of one in precision medicine. Boy, I remember the days when I first started medical school where we were looking at research that was done predominantly in men. Mm-hmm. And the idea was, if it's proven in men, therefore it's the same in women, it's the same in children, it's the same in everyone. And we learned quite quickly that when we started doing things, you know, for example, cardiovascular research in women, we found women don't have the same symptoms as men Not do of heart all. attacks. Yeah. And the treatment for women often has to be different because they may present at a different stage of having a heart problem than a man would present at. And now we're starting to look at different ethnic variations and all of that. The story of how 
pediatrics and pediatric oncologists increase their current participation in clinical trials. I heard some some statistics a few weeks ago. 75 to 80% of all children who have a cancer diagnosis participate in some type of a clinical trial. That seems to be a model that we can look at for Indeed. adults as well. The adult statistics, about 3% of adults participate in clinical trials. But there were some great things that came out of that that effort from pediatric oncologists and parents, what are some of those elements that we could maybe use as a model for other areas? Right. You're so right to highlight both of those areas that not that long ago it was um, – foolishly, I would say, uh, believed that anything that was discovered in a clinical research with men would apply to women. I mean, it's really laughable, right? But that didn't change until the 1990s, about the same time that we finally realized that it wasn't healthy to smoke on an airplane. I remember when there used to be smoking sections. Right. Smoking sections like that's achievable, really. So we do learn, sometimes slowly, um, but the going to the example you cited of uh, cancer, that it really was now several decades ago that parents of children who had diagnoses with cancer, and that was often a death sentence, let's face it, um, decided that they weren't going to wait anymore. They were going to push on physicians, on pediatric oncologists, to speed up research. And those oncologists said, well, the best way we can speed up research, other than in the laboratory, which is essential, is by enrolling your child in a clinical trial so we can find out what aspect of new findings in research are going to work. And we can speed up the whole process if more children enroll. So the parents said, we're in. We're going to make this happen. Unfortunately, we haven't seen that happen yet in adult cancer. And there's, I think, a a number of reasons for this. For one thing, it is the patient themselves making that decision. And uh, you can argue whether that's slowing down progress. Uh, But it also takes a whole, I would say, drive by advocates to say we're insisting that we will make progress so that if there is a cancer diagnosis, it's not going to be a death sentence or a lifetime of painful and expensive treatment. And that's one of the models that we need to take to really help to promote the progress in medical research for now and for the next several generations to come. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Research America President and CEO Mary Woolley. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about medical and health research here in the islands and how we can really help to promote this in the most effective way possible. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Research America President and CEO Mary Woolley. And we're talking today about how we can really help to promote medical and health research that's going on that'll help us to support what we do in the next several generations. That really we're here today because... People have learned a lot on how to keep people well and healthy and life expectancy. The expectancy has gone up over the last few years. 
And it's really because we've learned a lot about medicine. We've learned a lot about health. We're starting to do these trials to make sure that people are using the most appropriate medication in the most appropriate way. And all of this information is sponsored by people who want, they have a question, they want to get an answer to that question, and they know that the answer to that question could change what we do next in medicine or in health prevention or in some type of treatment. And this is the crux of what we need to do. We need to figure out ways to make sure that when we ask these absolutely necessary questions, we find ways to create the funding to implement the study and then find ways to collaborate together. I know a couple of years ago in Time Magazine, they had a whole article on how different medical centers often compete with one another to figure out who can get somewhere first and that they're trying to do a more collaborative approach so that if we have a disease process, for example, Alzheimer's, which is something that scares a lot of folks because there's such a significant chance that people may have this memory disorder as they get older, rather than having 10 medical centers all research the same thing, if they all work together and they research different nuances or elements of this and collaborate, we may get an answer to what we can do about that condition even faster because we're all working together. Do you see that we need to promote more collaboration and cooperation in research in general? For sure. And I'd say that's been true for a long time, as you're alluding to, Kathy. And because of the speed of real-time communications right now, cooperation is possible in a way that it wasn't, frankly, before. And it has to happen across sectors, too, not just only between medical schools, one to another, but also in the public and private sectors together. And when they really do work together, because they have different strengths, we can speed the day. And that's what this is about, speeding the day, finding the solutions to what ails us, learning from different populations. You know, we were talking before about the unique ability here in Hawaii to take a look at special populations and study them in a way that, frankly, isn't possible in other parts of the nation. It was pointed out to me that there's very little... um, Uh, Well, there's more of a tendency for people in Hawaii to stay here. And if you are are, um, running a clinical trial, clinical research, it's important to be able to stay in touch with the population that's volunteered to work with you. So that is much more likely to happen here than in other parts of the country where people more easily move across state lines. That's a big attraction. It's also a big attraction that there's a kind of bridge to Asia here, where uh, not only is there great research going on with similar populations to many in Hawaii, but also there is transmissible disease that is um, comes to Hawaii often before it gets to the mainland. So we're talking about tropical um, diseases. Dengue fever recently was a problem here, I'm told. Um, And the fact that there are superb researchers here working in those areas makes it a unique opportunity. And that goes also to behavioral 
research, the kinds of things that involve lifestyle changes. And rather than just um, making pronouncements that one should change their diet or their lifestyle, it's much more useful to do the research with the community that one is trying to engage with to find out what's going to work for them rather than making assumptions. And there's a real commitment, I know, by the medical center at the University of Hawaii, the medical school, to work with communities. They have an exceptional, to my mind, track record of connecting to the community. Well, and the other unique aspect of what happens here is the ethnic variation, but Mm -hmm. also the idea that certain disease processes or certain medical conditions have a much higher statistical rate in certain populations. So we see diabetes, we see kidney disease, we -hmm. see different rates of cancer Mm -hmm. in Polynesians than we do in Caucasians, than we do in Filipinos, than we do in people of Japanese ancestry, all these different types of ethnic variations that otherwise we might not be able to identify without looking at this population-specific research done right here locally. And how nice to have that ability to be able to translate some of that information so that other communities that may have Polynesian ancestry and be living in Vegas or California or somewhere else, we can use that information and share it and hopefully improve the health of everyone while we're at it. I completely agree. And some of the things that it can be learned here um, are on the positive rather than negative side, if you will. And when you think about the number of centenarians, especially among Japanese That's ancestry. Right, people over 100. Amazing. What can we learn? And that certainly can be helpful to people all over the world, frankly, not not only uh, here and in the uh, main on the mainland population. So there's there's always the positives that we can learn from other cultures, and we can't change our own genetics, of course, but we can change things that might activate the best in us, shall we say. Well, and interesting, we talk about genetics because they're now looking at this whole field of what's called epigenetics. What turns on certain genes Mm -hmm. and what makes those genes more active? So we all have in our genetic code pretty much all of these different genes, a lot of which does not get activated at the same time. And so I may carry a gene for brown eyes, which I have, and also for blue eyes from my mother, which I don't have. So the brown eye gene is activated for me. So that there's different genes that get activated at different times. And we know that a lot of cancer has genetic mutations and certain cancer fighting elements may not get turned on in our genome because of some other reason. So now we're doing some of the studies to say, Not only do we need to study the genetics of the person, we need to study the genetics of the tumor. We need to figure out how we can excite that person's own body to activate their genetic fighting mechanism against that tumor. And what is it that stopped that? And those are some of the exciting parts of research. You know, I sat in a lecture about four or five years ago. I was talking about genetics of tumors, and I went, wow, this is going to be really exciting whenever this happens. It's here right now. It's here. This is what we're doing. And the only way for us to be able to bring forth the information that we need is to continue to support the research that we need to do. So now, what is the status right now of research funding in the United States? I hear things about budget cuts and things being decreased, the amount of funding to NIH, to CDC, to the FDA. It always seems like 
we're taking money away from the very area where we need to invest more. Right. Well, definitely, to your point, what are we waiting for when we're right at the cusp of lots of answers and finding solutions to what ails us? So one of the reasons that it's taking longer than we'd like is we haven't put all the resources toward finding the answers that we should be, frankly. Um, And I don't think you find anybody in the science community to argue with that proposition. They want to be um, finding answers, not sitting idly. So we've kind of stagnated out on funding over the last decade or so, and it's time to change that up. I've got some specific suggestions, this being an election year. All right. Well, we are going to come back in just a moment with those suggestions, as it is an election year in 2018, and ways in which, now that we all got inspired and excited about research, how can we participate and what can we do to help fund it so that we can all be part of this? I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Research America President and CEO Mary Woolley, and we'll be right back with more of those suggestions for this election year. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. Medical and health research, that's what we're talking about today. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Research America President and CEO Mary Woolley, and we're talking about how we can all take part in trying to further along the research that needs to be done that'll not just help us in our lifetime, but will also help the next several generations as well. Now, you mentioned this is an election year and you have some ideas on how we can help support the scientific community. What might those be? Okay. So this is an election year and candidates running for office for the Congress, um, and you have candidates running here, just as in all states, um, need to hear from the voter, from their constituents, what those voters want them to do if elected or reelected. So this is the year to speak up to candidates, those that are known and those who may be chosen through a primary process, to ask them, what would you do if elected to assure medical and health progress? Will you vote for more funding for the NIH, the CDC, the FDA, the National Science Foundation? And listen to their response and weigh it yourself, whether that sounded like a strong positive or maybe waffling, and push toward it. We all need to push toward it. Uh, lots of times it's it's um, confusing to hear that the Congress has or hasn't passed a budget. Let me just address where that stands right now. We do not have a budget for the fiscal year that started on October 1st of 2017. There is no budget. We are operating on a so-called continuing resolution for everything that's funded by the federal government, not just for medical and health research, of course. Um, There's been a series of those resolutions expiring and then uh, kicking the can down the road yet again. The next one comes up on February 8th. Um, We'll see whether we get an actual budget plan at that point. 
embedded in that plan is a an effort to raise the budget caps, the sort of artificial ceiling that was put in, on, in place in 2011. So there's an effort to raise those caps and then free up some money. I would say still not really enough to pursue the worthy science that's all around us, but at least it'll be the right direction. And if voters ask their uh, candidates running for Congress what they're going to do about this and make clear that they, the voter, wants that candidate to support research for health. We're not going to get there without the research. We can't wave a wand. Medical progress is hard won, takes time, takes smart people. We've got plenty of those very definitely in this state, but they don't have all the tools that they need at their disposal. And so part of what we need to do is help provide the funding to get them those tools. That's right. But also make sure that we are supporting them not just financially, but also by participating in some of their research. Absolutely. And that's where that NIH All of Us project comes up, uh, comes in. People can volunteer to be part of that. And there's plenty of other clinical trial activity going on locally here. And, and let me emphasize, when someone volunteers for the NIH All of Us program, it doesn't mean you have to go to Bethesda, Maryland to participate. You can participate right from here in Hawaii. Um, but you can also participate in a more hands-on way, shall we say, here in Hawaii, whether you uh, currently have a diagnosis or a disease or you're perfectly healthy. There's ways to get involved. And that makes a wonderful contribution to future generations as possibly to your own health as well. Well, and it also is allowing you to be a little bit, you know, in some cases, more accountable for your own lifestyle choices. Mm -hmm. There are some studies going on here in the islands that have to do with some lifestyle prevention against dementia. And is exercising a certain number of minutes per week at a certain level of intensity with following certain dietary guidelines, is that going to reduce your risk? So sometimes when you participate in a trial and you kind of have to be accountable mm -hmm. to doing something, mm -hmm. it sort of motivates you. You know, if I know I'm supposed to be meeting someone at the gym, I'm more likely to go than if I'm just going to get myself motivated. It's because I, I know somebody's watching me. You know, so these sorts of extra added benefits are not just going to occur for the community at large but also for the individual. Right. And the other thing I think is important to mention is that when people participate in clinical trials, you're getting treatment. And if you wind up in the arm of that clinical trial that's getting extra treatment, you're never receiving less than the current standard of care. I think that's an important point to emphasize because sometimes people hear about clinical trials and say, but I don't want to get just a placebo and not be treated with anything. And the idea is that you will get current standard of care, maybe even more than that. Right. Right. There is that. You're, you're so right to identify this question that lingers in people's mind of, gee, why would I get something inferior? Um, if we knew definitively what was better, there wouldn't be a trial. We'd we would already, already know. do it. And in so, fact, what you're getting, which is standard of care, right. probably came from a trial. Exactly, exactly. So you, you say it very well, but you've, I correctly, I would say, identified one of the concerns people have in their minds about trials. And sometimes just the word trial 
can get in your way. You know, which part of a trial do you want to be part of? The prosecutor or the you know, right? You don't want to be in a. You don't want to be in a courtroom if you can. Yeah, you don't want to be in the courtroom. So it's if you think of it as research, and research is something that we all can contribute to by being personally connected to it, as well as urging better funding to get back to that point. And it sometimes helps to understand that um, research is not expensive compared to many other things that we value in this country, um, value in small ways and large. We, for example, we spend more on cut flowers in this country than we do on cancer research. That's like a shocking statistic. And nothing wrong with that. And way more on defense. And certainly nothing wrong with that. We can do more for research if everybody stands up and ask that that happen. Well, and I like the idea that you can ask whoever's running for office what their stance is. Mm -hmm. This really is truly an investment in yourself, in yourself now, in your future medical health, and in the potential health of your offspring and or those of the world around you. So it really does seem to be extremely important for people to hear more about it. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank and you, Doctor. for sharing with us your knowledge of medical research and funding and what we can all do to hopefully help increase the budget, which is going to get us to the answer even faster than we thought we could get just right now. All right, if you want to hear more about this, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Thank you to Mary Woolley from Research America. We'll see you next week. Woo!